0: This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music and culture podcast with Joe Camuza and Matthew White. You're listening to a live stream recording of Brain Fuzz on site and on opening night from their residency at the Temporary Arts Centre in Atlanta. It's plugged, but kind of unplugged. In this episode, Joe and Matthew catch up with curator and repeat brain fuzzer Stuart Herodner, currently the director of the University of Kentucky Art Museum.
1: We're on. Okay.
2: With Stuart Herodner. You may remember him from episode... Twelve? Fifteen. Wow.
1: Yeah. Do you know we just did fifty? I, I feel happy to have been in that early you camp. Were, uh, yeah, we just turned fifty,
2: and um, you were number fifteen.
1: Okay, and that was an amazing episode.
2: It was, remember, like there yeah. were ghosts.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the rented house, the Airbnb. We had a had a
0: uh, what do you call that? A ghost? It's yeah. A, uh, a paranormal experience. Paranormal experience with, with Reader's Digest condensed books. Right. It was a specific. That ghost didn't have time to read the entire novel.
2: Brain fuzz went paranormal very quickly. And you know what? While I'm at it, there's a very good energy in this room, by the way. And, and I've felt it since, since we started nesting. When we first started nesting, I was like, all right, this is working.
1: Uh, I really like it. I like it the here. shape of it. It's like this beautiful little wedge.
0: It yeah, is, it's it's a nice... Uh, and the, the acoustics are great. I mean, we did soundproof, but yeah. we didn't really need to. No, because it's amazing.
2: It's natural. It's,
0: like, yeah. These are some of the finest-sounding brain fuzz <laughs> recordings. You have
1: everything you need. you got a couple of sound yeah. You know, panels, a whiteboard, a clock. Yeah. That doesn't work. A, a felted table. Stereo. Stereo.
2: <laughs> and yet everything and sanitizer. Is- yeah. In, yep. Stevia. Oh yeah. Stevia <laughs> Uh <laughs> The temporary art center.
0: You've done. Yeah. How many of these? Pop up. Or what's the right vernacular?
1: Uh, You've up done shows. Shouldn't...
0: You invented some of this. No. Come no. On. No. No. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Portland. Well, uh... That seemed to be ahead of the curve. Or am I just like no. going
1: back? You know, it depends on how knowledgeable people are about the curve. Because I didn't necessarily invent a art fair in an unlikely place in Portland. Now, oddly enough, I had done a show with my good friend Saul Ostro years ago in New York at a place called the Roger Smith Hotel, which we found out, and I can't, I'm bad at the date, so you'll forgive me because I don't remember what year that was. But it was while I had my gallery in New York, so it was easily 1992 to 96. I think it might have been 94, 95. And we found out about a midtown hotel that was renovating an entire floor in the hotel, and we commandeered a series of rooms and did, in a sense, a pop-up exhibition in a hotel room. And... Tons of New York art folks came, and within a year or two, the Gramercy Art Fair at a hotel emerged. Now, we didn't think of it as like a commercial, we're going to invite dealers and such. We just did a curatorial project. But, you know, that was sort of in the air, let's say. And the Portland Art Fair came several years after that, and it was not, you know, me and reinventing the wheel. It was an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, Portland has a really fledgling collector base their galleries don't feel terribly supported maybe i can jump start a little bit of a kind of west coast collecting culture and so that was a thing and i've done a couple of pop-up shows i've done one pop-up show in lexington which was at a vintage modern bank that was slated for demolition and we did an installation called the People's Portal in this 1960s People's Bank, which had, you know, amazing aqua walls wow. and peeling and a bit bank vault and some of this other stuff. And it was like, uh, and Scott was in that show. And so, you know, there's a venerable history of exhibits or, and I still, you know, I, when I do this stuff, I think I'm doing it as a curator. Right. I'm doing it as a director of an art center, uh, so I'm coming at it even though I have a background in the arts I'm still thinking of it curatorially from a person who you would expect to make curating projects Scott Ingram is coming at this from a, I'm an artist who wants to organize things with other artists and yes he's functioning as the de facto curator but I think in this case he's thinking of this in the grand history of artist centered initiatives Damien Hurst doing, you yeah. know, the Freeze show with all of his young British artists before they launched in a way solely to get the attention of Charles Saatchi and a whole mm. culture that was not paying attention to them. Yeah. Uh, so there's this sort of, this is a, you know, a tried and true tradition, real estate that's changing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Artists who feel like they need to have an opportunity to do something big and crazy and ambitious, mm. um, So that's a a recipe for a certain kind of energy, which is right outside our wedgie studio. What was
0: the space? The wedgie studio.
1: studio. (laughs) The wedgie studio. (laughs) Okay. Uh, There's
0: a bit of hazing going on here tonight. Um, But I recall, maybe it was in one of the books, you talking about, in your gallery, you had a very small space that wound up being kind of a pop-up. Like, wasn't it something literally like in a hallway
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, the same person I mentioned, Saul Ostro, I gave him a little vitrine we had fabricated to show an artist's records and ephemera. It was like a, literally a, like a jewelry cabinet. It might have been 15 inches by 30 inches. It was like a, just a little piece of furniture. And we gave him that as an alternative space in our office (laughs) and said, curate this. And we don't know, like, it'll be the smallest gallery in New York. And it'll be Saul Astro Fine Art in the Haradner Romley office. That's great. (laughs) And we sent out postcards, and it was like a real thing. And he asked really serious artists to make installations and little micro paintings and And we did, I don't know, a year or two of programs like that. (laughs) What do you think about,
2: is the pop-up itself now the focus?
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing about all this is that it's hard to talk about it without realizing it bumps up next to these other things, like the art fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like what you're talking about out here as spectacle, and I don't know, you know, maybe this is like low level yeah. spectacle. I mean this feels very much like friends and family. Yeah, unless it really does. unless yeah. another hour goes yeah. by and a whole boatload of Atlantis yeah. pop in that we don't know. Yeah. I mean I just ran into this is like old home week. I mean I just ran into oodles of folks that I know. Right. And it's really nice to see everybody. Um, but you know, like the first couple of years when I went to Art Basel in Miami and we were there together, you know, for a good couple of years over the course of that sure. uh, fair's history. You know, the first couple of years, there were three or four, it was the main fair and maybe two or three satellite fairs. And it got to a point where there'd be 22 simultaneous fairs. And
0: we'd be sitting eating pizza in that weird, uh, yeah. with a great jukebox. Oh. Oh, and you're like, yeah, I'm good, I'm done. Yeah. You know,
1: well, that was, you know, that was a piece of pizza as big as this table, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but. You know, So you start to go, oh, okay, well now you know, that's just Miami, and then there's L.A., and then there's New York, and then there's you know, six things simultaneous with the dominant things. And I think all, these, all of these events uh, basically all happen and evolve and continue because of the same problem, which is a whole boatload of people feel like they're not being paid attention to.
2: Legitimately, you know?
1: Galleries who couldn't get into the main fair. Artists who feel like they're toiling away in relative obscurity. Uh, Collectors who, you know, may not know where to look and go to the, you know, typical places. And all of this kind of, you know, even in a city like Atlanta, I mean, you know, we all know people who are, the gallery system is limited the venues to show art, nonprofits, museums. There's a handful of places that you could exhibit your work. And if you're not in them, for one reason or another, you feel totally marginalized. And you have to figure out what to do about that. And what I, you know, this is already very interesting because it's Scott Ingram, who's been here for quite a long time who's known as an artist, who was known as a framer, was known as an installer, worked for some, you know, significant collectors. You know, you can't pull this thing off with these artists at this scale without having that kind of history. I mean, Michi Michi Miko said earlier, he's like, you know, I love when uh, I get to make, you know, five or six giant paintings. Because my friend is doing a thing, and he asked me, and I don't want to disappoint him. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have yeah. that spirit of uh, ambition, and uh, and you have also the alignment of you know Tim Schrager and a mm-hmm. person you know who owns a building like this. So going back to that
2: idea of the you know pop up and where is it going? Do you think? I don't know do we have to say that it's good or bad sometimes i hear it's bad that 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 takes the focus off of the work and the effort of the artist itself it makes it more
1: of a i don't know you know i mean there's also something else that should be said history of artists and galleries doing stuff in their home yeah you know like oh my god i can't afford to have a gallery in soho or Tribeca or chelsea or wherever like just new york or Buckhead or pick a pick a I mean you know I drove around I haven't been in the city in a year or so Uh, drove along Memorial today and didn't know where the hell I was you know can you believe it and when I see like you know a condo building with $700,000 units on Mm -hmm. Memorial Mm -hmm. well where are you going to have a little gallery let's say you want to open a business and do a gallery
0: yeah
1: and let's say maybe you know some people and some artists you'd like to show and some collectors you think you can sell stuff to. Uh, how are you going to support that?
0: Yeah, I mean, Atlanta is turning into, you know, like what Brooklyn used to be. You know, like yeah. it's probably is at East Point or you know, West View, like where are folks going? But, like, the, the West Side's over. Well, who can open up a space there? Yeah. yeah.
1: And, the, uh, you know, I think the beauty of... Uh, the art world as I still think of it is that if you can still you can do serious things true of that little cabinet I gave to Saul you could do serious things in a 15 inch by 30 inch space, you could do them in, a, in your living room every other month, you could do them in abandoned spaces, they, they're all opportunities for some kind of possible excellence yeah. uh, and they're only as good as they are yeah you invite the right people. they do interesting things. It feels fabulous. You invite less capable, less ambitious uh, mm-hmm. people you you sustain that for three years and then you get tired mm-hmm. and you stop uh, you know that's also okay. but I think that you know these things are really fluid yeah and and their fluidity is realism, like it's hard to have everything you want, let's say, as an artist in terms of opportunities. And I, the, the thing I love, and I'll probably talk about this a little tomorrow, is instead of waiting for the top-down version of curators, galleries, uh, institutions to give you what you want, yeah. there is something to be said for working up and claiming some space for yourself and your friends and owning your own... Capacity to give yourself what you want, rather than waiting for right. others to give you this stuff. That is a great way to put it. Yeah, you know. See, um, I think
2: that the the rate at which communications has sped up, quicker turnaround, makes the work more and it's timely. But it's you know, I remember one artist, and I don't want to name the artist, but I remember seeing a critique of like the Iraq War. Um, specifically Bush's role in the Iraq War, long after Bush had left office. And, and you know, it's like, well...
1: you sort of questioning the something. effectiveness, the
2: timeliness yeah. of the thing. You know? Yeah, and so when you're working with a shorter uh, runway, maybe it's not perfect. Maybe, you know, you've got some problems, maybe you have to put duct tape over the...
1: <laughs> but... Um, But there's something about the immediacy of it. Yeah, there's also something about what are your expectations. Yeah. If you go into the High Museum or MoMA or, you know, wherever, which is, you know, destination museums of a certain sort, you expect a level, you don't expect duct tape on the wall, you don't expect the wall labels to be popping off, and you don't expect, you know, smudges on the you know, on the walls. Yeah. You you know, you suspend or construct your own expectations based on what you're what you're gonna see. Yeah. The, you know, there are things in here. I don't know what anybody's expectations were for this. Mm-hmm. If you announced these are the artists, you've got some of the most interesting I mean within the last you know, decade or so, artists who live who live in Atlanta Artists who used to live in Atlanta, uh, in many cases, artists who do show in galleries, have shown in galleries, are well-known, and you got a bunch of people here. I think, no matter how big this building was, if you announce this is a list of people, and you're going to come to see their work, I don't think you expect to walk in there and be underwhelmed. Yeah, right. You expect a certain level of quality. Yeah. Um... And I think in certain cases, you've got a whole boatload of people on this list who've outdone themselves in terms of wanting to take this opportunity and ratchet up their own uh, involvement, yeah, so that they could shine, you know, and you walk in there, you're like, oh, okay. Joe Perugini clearly just took this very seriously oh. and did, you know, an amazing amount of large-scale paintings that would in be record time. Like, the pride of, like, any Venice? big solo show. So he did yeah, I yeah. yeah. uh,
2: so. also did some electrical work, too. I don't know if I should talk about that, but did huge. see him no. little, okay. Uh, it's just amazing what you have to kind of take on when you're in... I mean, it's that kind of... There's that DIY ethic... Um, and then there's the other lo- layer. But that's well.
1: the, that's the you know, Mickey and Judy, come on, let's put on a show Yeah. yeah kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, Joe <laughs> did all that work. <laughs> Joe did all that work. William Downs yeah, did an amazing yeah. installation. And, you know, truth be told, is they finished their own work and for the last five hours have been helping <laughs> everybody else hang yeah, their yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, That kind of generosity is not necessarily what you get when you expect to go have a show at a museum. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't expect when I have people coming to work with me... Now, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I remember when we did the show at the Contemporary with Paul Shambro, American, world-class photographer. We, in a sense, took a show that was in Minneapolis and originated elsewhere. We brought it to the Contemporary a mid career survey. Mm-hmm. And the work got trucked in and Paul came in and he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And he was like, you know, where's the crew? And I went, Well, it was me and <laughs> and we had built walls, interior walls. It was a you know it was a big thing to try to hang, I don't know, fifty pictures or something. And we had almost killed ourselves just building the walls for the show. And he comes in, and it's like, me, Mike Jensen, Stacey Lindner. And we start hanging stuff. Yeah. And it's a couple of, it's a day in, two days in, and we're getting closer to the opening. And it's pretty clear that we are going to pull some crazy hours. And it was just all in. And he just went, you're the director of the thing, and you're here at 2 o'clock with me, eating Thai food, hanging the, like, the damn thing has to get hung, man. Yeah. We took an hour and maybe a two-hour break to watch the uh, vice presidential debates, I think, at the time. And then, you know, cleaned up our Thai food and went back to four hours of hanging. And he just went, I I didn't know what I expected of this place, but I did not expect that there was not going to be an installation crew who would be installing. The director and the co-director would not be dropping me off at my hotel at two in the morning and be back at six. Yeah. With the sheetrock screws and, right. the, and yeah. the and the you know and that so that spirit like this this really joyful uh, energy that's out there uh, is just always really nice to be around. It is, but it happens when you've got people who care.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been able to been privileged to be you know in here for a couple of weeks. Uh, and you know, doing a l- a little bit of help. I mean, not not the heavy yeah. lift, but well, and you, but you some. But you're happy to, you know, uh, you know contribute. But to see um, again, you know, a, a community of folks that truly that go go way back, but really support each other, yeah, and mm. uh, are making it happen. I mean, it's one of those where you just like, it makes my jaw drop.
1: This is a ton of work. Yeah. And you don't always feel that on a regular Wednesday of everybody's all in this, you know. Everybody's in their thing—teaching, yeah. working, making a living, doing their art, raising their kids, doing whatever. Um, yeah, look, I didn't expect to come in here and spend three hours hanging stuff and, <laughs> and, and, and you know lifting tapestries and gluing stuff down and like you know. I mean, I just. But I also was looking at Scott, going, "This ain't going to get done, man. This is not going to get done." And so what am I going to do? Like stand around drinking, you know, a, a, some Perrier. Perrier and like watching other people sweat? That just doesn't seem right.
2: now. So, so you, we were talking earlier about some experiences that you've had and um, getting shows together at the last minute. And I remember this, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, um, I remember just seeing you walking into the uh, Atlanta Contemporary one day. And it was like, well, sure. I was getting there early. I thought, and uh, I get there, and you're pushing a broom, and it's not just like you know a little bit of picking up some dust bunnies. It's like you're doing some sweeping, and that, ga- I mean, I, that was enough to give me heart palpitations. Like I, to to cut it that close. Nobody
1: wants to cut it that close. How does it? How does it happen
2: that you you
1: plan and yet guys. Nobody ever really imagines finishing the term paper five minutes before it's due, but somehow everybody's had that experience. Yes. It's not like you didn't know the damn thing was due. Right. But it's the process takes as long as it takes. Bad time management. 66,000 square feet, you know. Yeah, yeah. This, is just a, like... this is a giant space. As many people as who promised could help some did, some didn't. You've got three ladders. You need seven. You got two power drills. You really needed five. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, you know, some of it is no matter how it works in your mind that it's going to all work out. Everything, everything takes longer, always, yeah, than you imagined.
2: Yeah. Well, it's hard to get your head around the kind of scale, the scope of something like this. Again, sixty six thousand square feet.
0: Well the difference in like upstairs, uh for for listeners that don't haven't seen this yet, the upstairs is inhabited by uh Georgia State grad students. Current, past, future, I don't know. But um but that space is smaller, you know, it's like easier to get your head head around, yeah. paint the walls. And have a sense of a finished space. When we walked up there, we yeah. both were like, oh
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's... Versus and honestly, this
0: expansive, yeah. Tate, modern kind of turbine But, that, that, here. but
1: you know, that is... <coughs> excuse me. That is also grad students for whom that type of... Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, world of making a thing with and for each other is, is sort of standard fare. You, have, you do have a lot of people on this list who would probably prefer not to be working like that and they have experience working with galleries yeah. and museums and art centers where they're not pushing a broom and, mm-hmm. and you know leveling uh, vinyl and up mm-hmm. on a scissor lift helping somebody hang four giant paintings I mean it's like you'll do it if you have to right. but it's not necessarily ideal I'm sure most everybody would have loved to go home take a shower change their jacket you know, drive over and be the artist, you know, but they were all, like, uh, deep, deeply in. What I like, I mean, I'll give you the, the thing, is what I like is also seeing some of these artists whose works I've seen and shown uh, several years ago. I'm thinking of Paul Benjamin, for example. You know, so you've got a giant installation of Paul's, uh, language-based... Black power, multiple video monitors. Looks terrific out there. We showed a version of it at the Contemporary, different configuration, yeah, different you got a mo- message. different monitors. What? Well, the analog
2: message center has been activated. Let's see what we have.
1: What? This is like some Anne Frank system you got here? What is <laughs> this? If time wasn't an issue...
0: Don't you think I Jim Croce? I
1: did. I and did.
0: you I had did. forever to master a skill, what skill would you master? I would sleep until the end of time. Wow, that's deep.
2: All, All right, right, Stuart. You're, you're... That actually might be. I'm I
0: sorry. believe it is.
2: If time wasn't an issue and you had forever to master skill... What skill would you master,
1: students? Uh, you know, something that comes up quite a lot in my thinking about all the things that I do not know how to do is I would like to be musically savvy.
2: In savvy as I'd a like to be able performer? To, I'd like to be able
1: to pick a up harpsichord? It, Zither. Zither, you know. First chair, zither. Uh, First chair, zither. The uh, it would, you know, it would be really amazing to be able to pick up a guitar or sit behind a piano and play and know how to play with others and be able to uh, hear a song. Thank you. You're welcome. It's Can we cool. order Mexican through that system? Can we get some oh, we should, food delivered? Great. Can we Uber uh, Uber through, Eats through the... I mean, for people who are just... Listening, set the stage, and set not stage. in this room. Set the, set the table. This, this there is there is a, I would say a little uh, rectangular tin-lined rectangular orifice. A poor man's dumbwaiter. It is a poor man's dumbwaiter. It's the
2: dumbest. It has a. It has
1: a. Chrome
2: the best. It's so. It's so much fun.
1: Uh, where where are people messaging these things from? from? Upstairs, above, yeah, in, next to Wira's
2: Painting. Okay. So what we did was we just put a little blue tape on it that said, you know, reserved for the Brain Fuzz Messaging Center. And we just wanted to see... And people, they acted with... We, we did not activate like paper or pens. I feel like, pens, I feel we, like
1: this is going to be the way people go are going to cast their ballots in the 2020 election. You think so? It, it just, you know... i mean, a general
2: Republican. I tell you. Just, you know,
1: I don't know. So, yeah, I, I think if I had all the time in the world and could master a skill... It would be to go against my nature of not knowing how to hear music, play music, have no musical skill set you, are whatsoever. You did, are
2: you? Are you
1: yeah. tone deaf? Or are you? I don't know. You know. Can I, you carry a tune? I can carry it if I'm carrying a CD home from the store. That's it, huh? I
0: know but the after party is going to involve karaoke.
1: Yeah, I'm not. And you know, Tim no, You don't want me. You me. don't want me. You don't want me singing. But you don't. But you also. I just think there's something unbelievably magical about people who have musical gifts.
0: Yeah, but I think a lot of them say the same thing about, you know, visual artists or poets or...
1: Well, yeah.
0: I mean, music, I think, is more immediate and more but primal. But music, I like, think, is
1: something touches... like, you know, you can go to any culture, right. anywhere, right. sit yeah. on a beach, climb on a mountain, walk into a village somewhere, and somebody hands you a, a stringed instrument, and you can do, do something magical that, right? with oh, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. You're in some ancient lineage that connects to people in a way that, you know, I don't uh, you have, know something have, kind of
2: amazing about have it. Have you how many times has oh. this happened to you? You're in a situation, maybe you're maybe you've got a contractor or someone's trying to communicate what they envision in some way. And they and they're just drawing sketching it out for you and they go, Well, I'm not an artist,
1: but Yeah. And then they get and you're like, well, oh, but do you know how many times I, like, reach for a pen to try to be able to explain something to somebody because that's a world in which I yeah. can communicate? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you know. Look, I don't speak any other languages, and I think there's something to be said for maybe what I'm saying is that lang- other languages is a kind of skill set. Music is another kind of language. It totally what you got is. There? What yeah. you got there?
2: uh but uh, said, "What's your? F- oh, wait! This is getting recycled. It's your favorite arcade game? What is your favorite arcade game?
1: If you yeah. had to Pong, Through the mists of time, you mean like an arcade game where you play old video games, yeah. and pinball machines, and yeah. whatever? epic. It could be any of them. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that was never really my world, but I, I am from a time, wow. but, I, but I am from a time." Where, you know, the first round of Pac-Man was probably a thing that I played. The lines. And the slowness of, when you say Pong, that like, yeah. you know, I, I think I could get quite excited about the yes. hypnotic slowness of Pong. The cadence of Pong. That, you know.
2: Wasn't that an Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer record? Oh, there we are. The cadence of Pong? It could happen. Uh, yeah, it may, that was definitely prog rock, wasn't it? Yeah, Cates I liked Pong. all that. See, Here I it love it
0: when they don't like it; they just send it right back down. Oh, I, I noticed that rejected. earlier. When yeah, they don't like it. They do don't mean? like my my questions, which I've had to uh, oh. create on the fly. Can't
2: you get a new clip?
0: That's what this is. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's my son. <laughs>
2: I, I, can, I can barely use it
0: either. <laughs> We're keeping it original here, though. We didn't want to do a.
2: a no, it's just authenticity. There's a new. So we didn't want. So that's actually what was on the clip originally. That that see that oh, over there. It. it says if you take what if, if you, you take go. it, take it
0: out, put it back. It seems like a thing. <laughs> so <laughs> if we put that on t t-shirt <laughs> no, 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 and you go to the true. Claremont yeah. Lounge later, that you'll be a true. hit. If you do-
1: Oh,
2: so tomorrow, know. eleven o'clock, right? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that what they're talking about? And what That's is what the, what's like. it gonna be?
1: The um well topic? I think uh, uh, and maybe we can pick this up again tomorrow if you want, with a little bit more of something. Oh, of oh yeah. but I think tomorrow what I what I understand I mean I gotta say, one of while I cannot play any musical instruments, I can say sure I'll be on the panel and know very little about what the panel is gonna be. I do know that Scott Ingram and William Downs and myself are going to probably try to chew on some of what you guys have been taking around with me here today. But I think I want to. I, I think I. Because William and Scott have been in, in uh, Atlanta for quite a while. Yeah. I think, you know, it would be interesting to talk with them about the history of this type of thing in Atlanta. And that's everybody from Carol and Michael and, you know, Ka- uh, Michael and Carol and Carr doing stuff in their yeah, building yeah. down in... Castleberry. Castleberry. Yep. Uh was something years ago that was before my time here that Joey Orr and other folks were involved yep. with called Shed Space. Yep. Um, so you do have a history here in, in Atlanta of these artists run endeavors, uh, pop-ups, limited time venues, whatever we want to call this thing. So I think it would be a good opportunity for them to talk a little bit about the history of some of the stuff in the city. I was prepared to talk a little bit about the history of this broader London, New York, uh, models of, oh, I didn't get into the Whitney Biennial, good, me and my friends are going to do an alternative Whitney Biennial. You know, those kinds of histories... Well, we're on the top. Yeah. Did you see it this year? I saw half of it because by the time I got to New York to see the reopening of the new MoMA, the Whitney Biennial was being, so half of it was deinstalled to make room for the new Nicole, Eisen, uh, Nicole Eisenman. Uh, yes. Year. No, not Nicole no, Eisenman. Uh, Rachel was, Harrison. The Rachel Harrison. Yeah. Show. And so what was remaining to be seen was uh, half of the biennial.
2: I didn't know they did that. I didn't know they split it. and then uh, I really got to see that Rachel Harris thing.
1: Yeah. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So so I don't know that I have much to say. I mean, I was a little underwhelmed, but I could easily say, well, maybe all the good stuff was on the other floor.
2: Which floor you did know. you see? Or which floors did you see?
1: I was on the floor which had the walk out to the Nicole, Nicole Eisenman, Eisenman, Eisenman sculptures on, that, yeah. on the roof. Yeah. Uh, There were one or two things that looked interesting to me there. A couple of of paintings. uh, A beautiful kind of haunting landscape video with a woman playing a cello in the middle of some beautiful landscape. Uh, Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff didn't speak to me. Um, It's the show always that's, you know, I kind of get on arrival no matter what, and then you find... Oh, that wasn't so bad. No. Do you think
0: that should continue, though? Because like, we touched on that. Like, so many institutions, it's like, whoa, we do this every year. Like, maybe stuff should take a break to to gain more relevance, maybe? Yeah, I don't... Do you so know, think it gets perfunctory? Like, these, like, why Thanksgiving can be so painful? Like, yeah. oh, we have to do this.
1: You're right. Well, I mean, you know, the, the yeah. thing about some of these shows is that there's so much pressure on them right. to, de- to deliver... I mean the Whitney. You know what's interesting about the history of the Whitney is that if you go back years and years, decades and decades, and look at the rosters of people, yeah, who were being touted as the most important artists of that year or yeah. every other year in America, we scoured the. You know, mm-hmm. we
0: scoured all
1: of all of all of, all of all of you <laughs> know. Well, but there was the a time. The,
0: in the New York Times, right? yeah, that literally had the.
1: the yeah, the ma- but there was a time when curators spent. Two years, three years running around America trying to go to every state to find people known and unknown to pull together. I mean, I remember Lawrence Rinder, Larry Rinder, who was at the Whitney, who is now just retiring after many years at the Berkeley Art Museum. But when Larry was running around, he came to Portland when I was living there. And I, you know, gave him some folks to go see. And lo and behold, he put a couple of those people, Miranda July, and I'm not sure if Harold Fletcher was in there, but certainly Miranda was. And, um, you know, he went to all over the place. And he found people. Mm -hmm. uh, And I've always liked some of Larry's curating. And so, you know, he really did all the due diligence and came back. And what I remember him saying years later was... uh, yeah, you know, I put together this show that was the way it was told to me that we were going to do this. Go all over, find, look, curate, put everybody in. And then, you know, the show came out and all the board of trustees and friends of friends and collectors were like, well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you pick so-and-so from the big gallery in Chelsea? Or why didn't you pick so-and-so? They had a good show this year. And it was very much that. Like, why didn't you basically look on 17 blocks of Manhattan and curate the show and Larry was like well that's not the American biennial that's not that's not the way you pick that if we wanted to do that we would call six Chelsea dealers and they would give us their right. laundry list of artists and we would be finished in but, a month biennials
0: any of those kind of surveys just seem fraught like even here in Atlanta like it, it seems like whoever's curating that you can't win
1: yeah it's
2: that same thing look Why the one the I
1: did nobody liked I'll give you that you know, I did one at the Contemporary because I was very... What do
2: you mean nobody, nobody liked?
1: I, I mean, I heard not. there was nothing good about... The, nobody... I mean, do you, you remember this? I don't, I, mean, I don't know if you remember this. This was probably a little bit before we got all friendly. I think it, yeah, I think so. Uh, I thought biennials were so done yeah. and fraught with the inability to be, you know, really any good, really any rele- really relevant at all. And this was happening in the moment when all of the uh, TV shows like America's Got Talent and The Voice and all of those things had started to happen. And I organized this show called Talent Show. And it was a biennial that was looked at through the lens of everybody's, in a sense, performing, Mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, it's like, what is a biennial? It's a talent show. And... I put the weirdest mix of stuff. I put a collabor. I put artwork from a art group at a Jewish senior center in Wait, Atlanta. Where was this? This, yes, yes, yes. yes, uh, yes we yes. had, you know, it was like if you not only had a art skill but had some other kind of skill and was doing anything creative, acrobatics, and I mean, it was it was an odd mix of things. And the wall labels were written in a way that was very cheeky. And everybody wanted me to do the go around and just tell us who you think are the best artists in Atlanta. Atlanta. Because that's ultimately what we want that show to be. No matter who's curating it, no matter who's in it, we want somebody to put a big stamp on. These are the yeah. best people, so we know what to go look at, maybe what to buy. But you
0: can already see them showing in, like, the, the better galleries yes. in town. That's
1: what I don't yes, understand. Yeah. So
0: what what is that imprimatur needed? And I, mean, I I get it from a resume. And I was in just interested
1: in how much can we screw around with this model, and is there oh, something fun great. to be able to do with it? Oh, that's great. But nobody oh, liked that one, I really. Did be. you get some good letters? No, it was just, uh, you know, reviews for oh, this is a mess, this is not really, you know, whatever. It was fine. I had a great time. I thought it was really a fun way to do it. And and I got to say, honestly, there, while I'm not ever politicking to be chosen to be a biennial curator for any, I could care less, there is a part of me one day that, if, that would tell you, if somebody called and said, as fraught as this is, as horribly as I think it, is, it can be, I, I would be like, I'm just crazy enough to say, sure, I would like to do this. Just to see whether it is possible to try to make one that holds together, that seems to have an ethic and maybe an attitude that seems relevant and timely to your point. Uh,
0: It's almost like a fantasy. Football League, um, Whitney. Yeah. yeah. That'd be good. Uh, It would be
2: great. So tomorrow, 11 o'clock, we'll be here. And maybe we'll pick our uh, conversation back up. But yeah. Up to you know, the, you're leaving
1: Sunday. Yeah, no, 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 We'll have time to chew on we'll whatever We'll talk on else. the ride of the airport. Whatever, whatever other, you know, and whatever notes come through, through know, the transom. Um, All right. If anything comes through there, we're going to save it for the next uh, uh, more conversation. More to come. Always fun, boys. Oh, always I love always love fun. It. I love it. Good to see you again. Of course.
0: You were just listening to a live stream recording of Brainfuzz on site from their residency at the Temporary Arts Centre in Atlanta. Subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and Stitcher. Thanks for looking through the window.